0: Well, my friends, it will soon be Good Friday on Friday, April the 7th, the day when we especially reflect upon the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sins and your sins and your sins up in the balcony and for my sins. On the night before Good Friday, Jesus went into a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. He went there to pray. And what happened in that garden is recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, if you'd like to turn to it. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, starting at verse 36. And if you'd like to stand for the reading of God's Word, please go ahead and let's stand together. Matthew 26... At verse 26, or 36, rather, we read, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief, to the point of death, stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the grounds, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And then at verse 47. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, "'arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. "'They had been sent by the leading priests "'and elders of the people. "'The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. "'You will know which one to arrest "'when I greet him with a kiss.' "'So Judas came straight to Jesus. "'Greetings, Rabbi,' he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. "'Jesus said, "'My friend,' Go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and flat. Let us pray. Our heavenly Father, we pray, O oh God, for your touch, your touch, Lord, upon the message that we're about to share. I pray, Lord, that you would help help us to grasp the truths that we are about to communicate. Lord, may it be that you would help each one of us to hear and to act upon whatever it is you want us to respond to. Let it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please feel free to be seated, my friends. Amen. In Jerusalem, in that first century itself, there were no gardens of any big size because a city set on the top of a hill has very little room for open spaces. Every inch of land was of value and was used for building. Although there wasn't room for gardens in the city of Jerusalem itself, the wealthy people had private gardens on the slopes of what they called the Mount of Olives, not far away. And Jesus, on that Thursday evening, went into a garden called Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane essentially means olive press, olive press. And no doubt it was a garden of olives into which Jesus entered after the Last Supper on Thursday evening before Friday's crucifixion. Some of you have been to that Garden of Gethsemane, and if ever you do have a chance to be in Israel I encourage you to go and visit this very special place, very touching place. It was probably a garden which a friend allowed him to use for prayer and meditation and relaxation. And if if you stop and think, you stop and think about it, You realize how beautiful and lovely it was that nameless friends, at least their names are not given in the Bible, nameless friends rallied around Jesus in his last days. For example, there was the man who gave him the young donkey on which he rode into Jerusalem. And next Sunday we celebrate Palm Sunday. There was the man who gave him the upper room where the last supper was eaten. And now there is the man who gave him the right of entry to the garden on the Mount of Olives. I have often thought about this fact. Come to think of it. In a desert, in a desert of hatred, there were still oases of love. In a desert of hatred, there were oases of love. And I hope on occasion, you and I can also be an oasis of love to someone going through a desert experience. And I pray that this message will also be an oasis of love for you, regardless of what you are going through at the present time and in the days ahead. The first main uh, truth that I want to share with you as we think of Gethsemane, the first main truth is this. Jesus understands our emotional pain and can help us through it. This truth came to my mind and it continues to come to my mind When I read verses such as 37 and 38, where where it says this, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Why? Why did Jesus say my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death? Or that's the New Living Translation or as the New International Version says my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What was bringing bringing Jesus so much emotional pain in this garden of Gethsemane was it? Was it because he was painfully aware that Peter would deny, would deny even knowing him three times? Perhaps? Was it because he was painfully aware that the Sanhedrin, the court, would condemn him? That Pilate would sentence him, and his enemies would ridicule him. probably. I'm sure also that Jesus was crushed, because he knew he knew that very soon Judas would betray him. Jesus had loved Judas. Judas had been one of his disciples. And if you have lived with and you've loved someone and you know that they are going to do something or have done something to deliberately hurt you, you too would be in agony. Right? Right? And some of you have been there and some of you are in agony even today. There's another reason why Jesus said my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow and it is probably, it's probably the predominant or the main reason. His greatest sorrow was likely caused by the fact that Jesus knew that he would soon be crucified. If you were to read Matthew chapter 20 verses 17 to 19 you see that Jesus was fully God and uh, fully man, but knowing that he would soon experience the agony of a crucifixion would be enough to cause Jesus or you or me to say, my soul, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus knew He knew that on the cross he would be paying the price for our sins. But I would not be surprised if the human side of Jesus had been wrestling with the whole idea of needing to go through the cruelty of the cross. It's probable that the human side of Jesus wrestled with the agony that lay before him. And the bottom line, my friends, the bottom line is, is Jesus faced the situation which caused him much emotional, emotional pain, much anguish and sorrow. What? What is causing your pain? Anguish or sorrow? What is causing it? Is it health problems? Is it a family member, a friend, or a co-worker that's driving you crazy? Is it a troublesome son or daughter? Is it a hope and dream that was recently crushed? Is it unemployment? What is causing your anguish, pain, grief? Is it un- an unfaithful husband or an unfaithful wife? Is it your mortgage interest rate grow- going up a lot? Is it a car accident or a bad investment that you made? That has resulted in great loss? Is it the death of a loved one? Is it knowing that Russia continues to be at war with Ukraine for over a year now and innocent people are being bombed and Hospitals, hospitals are being bombed, schools, government buildings, bridges, apartment buildings, and other residential areas are being destroyed for no reason at all. The war in Ukraine, or any war, should be causing all of us some emotional pain and grief. And furthermore, a catastrophe such as the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria recently should also be causing all of us emotional pain and grief, knowing that over 45,000 lives were tragically taken and and more than 100,000 people were injured and thousands have been left homeless. My friends, I've said there are times when all of us face situations which cause us pain and sorrow. We have, we've had, we have, and we will have our own Gethsemane. We will have our own Gethsemane experiences. But here is the good news. The good news is this. In the Gethsemane garden, Jesus cried out, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And that tells me, that tells me, my dear friend, that Jesus understands, Jesus understands your Gethsemane experience. Amen? The Lord understands your own Gethsemane experience because he's gone through the garden of Gethsemane himself. And because Jesus understands and he is all-powerful and in heaven, he is able to reach out and help help you with your own Gethsemane. Amen. In 1952, John Peterson wrote that beautiful song, No One Understands Like Jesus. No one understands like Jesus, says the song. He's a friend beyond compare. Meet him at the throne of mercy. He is waiting for you there. No one understands like Jesus. Every woe he sees and feels. Tenderly he whispers comfort, and the broken heart he heals. No one understands like Jesus when the days are dark and grim. No one is so near, so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on him. Amen. Amen. There's a second beautiful truth that strikes me from the Garden of Gethsemane. And that second truth is very precious, and we all need to give attention to it as well. That second truth is this. Jesus inspires us to surrender, to surrender to God's will, even when we feel like asking God to spare us the hardship. And this truth, of course, comes to my mind from verses 39 and 42 and the whole passage, but but especially when I read verse 39, here it is. He, Jesus, went a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then in verse 42... It says, then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Or some Bible translations say, Thy will be done. My friend, Jesus' words inspire me, they inspire me to want to do God's will. And I hope that you respond in the same way as well. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will, those who do the will of my Father, will enter. When we do God's will, Then we receive his promises. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 it says, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. You will continue to do God's will and then, then you will receive all. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Do you want to receive God's promises for your life? Of course you do. Then do God's will. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17 we read, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. And 1 John chapter 2 verse 17 and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Ephesians 6.6, 6, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Isn't that beautiful? Do the will of God not with part of your heart. No. Do the will of God with all your heart. And Psalm 40, verse 8 declares, I take joy, I take joy in doing your will, my God. Wow, wow. What? What is the will of God? Those verses talk about doing the will of God. What is the will of God in the various areas of life that you and I are involved in? Well, to begin with, for anyone who's making notes, if you want to put A, the will of God is for you to be saved from the consequences of your sins. That's the starting point. The will of God is for each one of us to be saved from the consequences of our sins. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, we read, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone, who wants everyone to be saved, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And then in 2 Peter, in the Bible, chapter 3, verse 9, we read, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that that any should perish, but that all should reach. Repentance, or as some translations say, so that all will come to repentance. Are you saved, my friend? Have you repented of your sins? And are you trusting, are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? This is the will of God. It is his will that each person be saved from the consequences of our sins to know that we're forgiven, know that we're adopted into the family of God, and know that our eternal home is in heaven with Jesus. Amen? Are you saved? Here is something else the Lord wills for all of us. You might want to put point B those of you taking notes. He wants wants us to experience He wants us to experience sanctification. Yes. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 we read For this is the will of God your sanctification. That's the ESV version or the NLT New Living Translation says God's will for you is to be Holy. God's will for you is to be holy. The message version says, God wants you to live a pure life. In other words, the Lord wants you and me to live a sanctified life, a holy life, a pure life, whatever words you want to use to say it. Sanctification or holiness begins when we first repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then eventually, the Lord wants us to get to that point of experiencing entire, entire sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, 24 declares, now may the will, now may, may the God of peace himself sanctify you, sanctify you, Completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you prayed, Lord, sanctify me through and through? This can be the day, this can be the day when we cry out to the Lord and say, Sanctify me through and through. Sanctify me entirely by your Spirit, dear Lord. Here is another will of God, point C. The Lord wants us to learn to be thankful. Some folks probably wouldn't be thinking of this as a big will of God, but it it is. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, it says, Be thankful in all circumstances. And then it says, What? For this, for this, my friends, for this is God's will. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will. How about that, eh? How about that? This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you have a beautiful attitude of gratitude, a wonderful spirit? of thanksgiving to God or do you go around whining and complaining all the time complaining about this complaining about that complaining about everything at home at work, at school, at church no, no, no that's not how God wants us to live he says be thankful in all circumstances and here's more Here's more of, of God's will. If you're making notes, it's point D. The, the will, the Lord's will is for each of us to give at least a tenth of our income to the Lord's work. In the Bible, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says... Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. We interpret that to essentially mean the local church. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Put me to the test. Many of you have been tithing And many of you have been given even more than a tithe. And today, I believe others of you will decide to do God's will, and you too will begin to tithe, which means to give at least a tenth of your regular income to the Lord's work. Will you do that? Will you do that, those in the sanctuary? Will you do that, those watching online? Then there are times when a unique situation arises. And again, if you're making notes, you can say this is point E. There are times when a unique situation arises and God communicates to you or me what is his will and, and, and you and I have to decide whether we will do God's will or our own will. Young people, we got a beautiful group, a wonderful crop of young people in high school and college and university. I encourage you. I encourage you to say, Lord, help me to discover your will for my life. Help me, Lord, to not only discover it, but to to practice it to live it out to live it out say have thine own way Lord have your own way in my life and along this journey there are times when when the Lord will reveal to you to me whatever age we're at specific Specific action or actions that you and I should take to abide or to carry out God's will. Here here is a little example. I wasn't sure whether to tell you this this story because it's it's possible that some of you will interpret it in the wrong way. I'm just going to trust the Lord to help you interpret it in the right way. But here's a little example A few years ago, some of you might recall, I bought a 2008 Buick Lucerne, a lovely 2008 Buick from a couple that I knew had taken good care of it. It only had, I think it was around 64 or so thousand, 64,000 kilometers on it, even though they had it for many years, they had bought it and had it for many years in their home, in their garage. And when I bought that vehicle, I I paid $3,900 for the car. And after putting on new brakes and paying the purchase taxes, I I ended up spending about $5,000 on that car. The reason I bought the 2008 Buick Lucerne was because my, my my previous car was a 2002 vehicle approaching 400,000 kilometers. I am regularly uh, driving to hold funerals and weddings and hospital calls and appointments with people. And I thought I should get a vehicle that didn't have such a, a high mileage with the hopes that it would be less likely to break down, for example, on my way to hold a funeral. Anyway, after I bought the used 208, 2008 Buick, after I bought it, my 2002 vehicle still still had some life in it, and I thought I would give it to a family that didn't have a car. It still had some life in it. And I, I thought, hey, we can squeeze, you know, just like last Sunday, Pastor Lisa talked about squeezing some more toothpaste out of that, uh, out of that container and squeezing some more hairspray out of what, what, whatever. And I thought, okay, I, I think we can maybe get an, at least maybe another year or two, squeeze some more use of, of that 2002 vehicle. So... Um, I thought, you know, let me let me give this to someone who needs a vehicle who doesn't have one. So I started I started to clean up my old 2002 vehicle with almost 400,000 kilometers. And I was I was getting it ready. I was getting it ready to take to the mechanic shop to have it certified. Most of you know that, you know, before you transfer a vehicle to someone, you, you have to get it certified, checked out to make sure the brakes are working properly and the mechanics are the way they should be and, and so on. So I was just cleaning it up, you know, um, getting it ready to take the mechanic shop to have it certified so, so I could transfer the ownership to the family that I wanted to give it to, uh, although I, hadn't, I still hadn't told them I was giving anything to them. As I was, as I was getting ready to do that, As I was getting the car ready to get certified, however, inside of me, inside of me one day, the Lord said something I totally didn't expect. The Lord said, give them, give them your Buick, not your oldie goldie. It was not it was not an audible voice but what what it, what I experienced stopped me in my tracks I wasn't expecting it one bit I had never thought never thought of giving away my old new buick <laughs> okay for about I don't know for about 4 4 or 5 weeks I wrestled with God and I said, Lord, Lord, I I don't want to give away the Buick. That's a bad idea. I said, Lord, I I just bought it recently and my 2002 vehicle will probably give them one or two years of driving and, and that's good enough. No matter what I said over those weeks, the Lord kept saying to me, inside of my spirit, Lord kept saying to me, give them the Buick. The reasons why I didn't want to give away my Buick was because it had a beautiful, a beautiful, comfortable ride. It had low mileage, a big rear seat for passengers, and even though it had a six-cylinder engine, it gave me, it gave great mileage, especially on the highway. Great mileage. And so I seriously wrestled with God for about four to five weeks, hoping, hoping God would change his mind. I said, certainly, Lord you got to change your mind about this, you know? Sometimes I find God is more stubborn than any of us. He didn't change his mind. Eventually, God won out. He won out. And about two and a half years ago, I took the Buick to the mechanic, the mechanic shop, I had it certified. And then I joyfully, I joyfully gave the Buick to the family that needed a car. You get that? I said I joyfully. In many ways, I was hesitant to, to tell you that story. Because obviously initially I, I didn't want, I didn't want to give away. My Buick. It took me four or five weeks of wrestling with God before I finally, finally said, Okay, Lord, you win. Thy will be done. I'll give them the Buick and not my oldie goldie. Soon thereafter, one of my family members said to me, oh, what, uh, why in the world, what happened to your Buick? So I had to tell them, and, and then they said, well, why in the world did you give your beautiful Buick away? And the answer was very simply and very honestly, I just, I just needed to be obedient to God. That's all it boiled down to. And I told him I didn't really initially want to give it away. My friends, whether it's you or me, there will be times when the Lord will direct you. He will show you He will show you His will. He'll show, he'll show you His will to give something to someone. Or to do something for someone. Or perhaps to make a, a large donation for world missions. We need, we need about $22,000 more to reach our goal of $60,000 for world missions by the end of April. It may be that the Lord is directing someone or several people to give, make a large donation for world missions today. Or in a week or so. My dear friend, whatever, whatever is God's will, I encourage you, and I encourage myself to say, as Jesus said, "My Father in heaven, my Father, your will be done." Amen? Your will be done. Earlier in this message, I spoke of how Jesus understands our emotional pain and can help us through it. What kind of emotional pain, anguish, or grief are you going through? I want you to remember, no one understands like Jesus and he has the authority and the power to help you by His spirit. We also talked about how Jesus inspires us to surrender to God's will. And I spoke of how the will of God is, is for you to be saved from the consequences of, of your sins. Are you saved? You can be today. How? You you can say from the depths of your heart, you can say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins so I can be forgiven and adopted into the family and receive the promise of heaven and be saved. In a moment when our musicians lead us in a closing song. You can come forward and you can stand or kneel around this altar and, and in your own way or I can help you or one of our other pastors can help you pray and, and say, Lord, I, I need to be saved today. I also spoke of how the will of God is for each one of us to experience sanctification to be holy, to live a pure life. Sanctification, holiness is brought about by the Spirit of Jesus transforming us, making us, molding us, changing us from within, within our heart. And ultimately, God wants us to experience entire sanctification. Are you and I allowing the Spirit of the Lord To change us and make us and mold us. To experience sanctification. And I also spoke of how the will of God is for us to learn to be thankful in all circumstances. Let's do that, shall we? And the will of God is also for each of us to give at least a tenth of our income to the Lord's word. Are you and I being obedient in that respect? And then there are times when God communicates to you and me what is his will in regards to a specific situation, such as the incident with the car that I spoke of. And you and I have to decide whether or not we will do God's will or our own will. Whatever is God's will, may you and I truly say, as Jesus said My Father in heaven, your will be done. Thy will be done. Would you bow your head in prayer, please? Dear Lord, I pray, I pray today that you would help each one who is going through some kind of a Gethsemane experience of their own, whether they're in the sanctuary or watching online or listening by radio. Would you help each one, each dear person? with whatever pain, sorrow, suffering they are going through, whatever their Gethsemane is, draw near to them. And you have the authority and the power to help each one, whatever circumstance they find themselves. And Lord, may it be, may it be that you would enable and empower each one of us to learn more and more to do as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will. Your will, O Lord, and your will is for each one to be saved. Yes. Your will is for each one to experience sanctification. Your will is for us to live with a thankful spirit. Your will is for us to say thy will be done in the unique situations that arise in our lives. And so, Lord, in these closing moments, I pray that you would assist each dear person to respond in accordance with their need, touched by your Holy Spirit. Let it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.